The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Episode 8, the Pure Hoops podcast. We are back. The Celtics are winning basketball games. I am in a terrific mood. BJ Armstrong is ready. Let's check ball. Time to go. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman, come your way each Friday with a fresh set of takes and a look back at the 1990s when BJ was getting chips with MJ, Scotty, and Phil. Our other shows are Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov, which drops every Wednesday. Their recent guests have included George Carl, Steve Javi, and John Barry. Our Monday show is The Mike Wise Show, formerly The Wise-Ass Show, featuring storyteller Mike Wise and his marquee guests like Jeannie Buss, PJ Carlissimo, and Jamal Crawford. Please check out all of our shows, listen, download, subscribe, rate, review, and of course, enjoy. That was fascinating. Eric Newman back in New York, BJ Armstrong in L.A., my man, how are you? Great week. Great to see you last week. We'll get into my very positive mood in a moment. How's everything in L.A.? We can't complain in L.A. And I'm sure with uh, your C's playing well, you're, you should be in a great mood this week. So after seeing you last week, I promised myself, as discussed, I am going to... I'm going to just let let this play out. I'm not going to I'm not going to overdo it. I'm not going to add unnecessary commentaries on our Pure Hoops platforms as of yet. And I'm walking around the Grove in LA Sunday afternoon, girlfriend duty, wasn't bad. Was was checking in on the Rockets Celtics score and getting hammered on texts. And I sat down in the sunshine and I just started writing how I was feeling about the Celtics. And then it occurred to me, Laker fans have to be feeling a whole lot worse. So I just went on one of these, you know, classic Eric Newman basketball fanship rants on my phone that I'm going to turn into a commentary. And all of a sudden I get back to New York and the red eye flight was tough and it's 20 degrees. And all of a sudden, all it took was for me to get back to New York and the Celtics to go the opposite direction out west, and all seems to be right in the world again, my friend. What was your uh, what was your impression quickly of uh, the Celtics' um, performance against the Warriors? And then we'll pivot right into our Celtics Lakers segment here to start the show. Well, no, Eric. Last week we we had a great discussion about the Celtics, and I think on all accounts we in the media here, certainly on this show, on the Pure Hoops podcast, we all can agree that the Celtics 
have probably underachieved to some degree. But what we can all agree, and we said it here last week, uh, for our listeners who are listening in week in and week out, and we appreciate that, is that this is a very talented group. And they have talent. And this league is all about talent. So I was not surprised by one bit of how they were able to play against the Warriors. Now, what ends up happening is we want to see them consistently do that. So they'll play against the and beat the Warriors on the Warriors' home court and then lose a game at home in Boston to a team they never should have lost to or never should lose to. So that is the, the inconsistency of their team is one that's probably the most frustrating, especially for Celtics fans. But none of us in the media, fans, casual observers or, or, or basketball fans will disagree that they don't have the talent to do it. And certainly they show w- what they could be once they put it all together. Absolutely. And one of those teams that they've lost to on their home floor that they shouldn't have recently is the Lakers. They happen to be playing this Saturday, national television game at Staples Center. Wish I was going to be out there again, but I'll be watching this one on TV. Before we get into the present day directions of both teams, as obviously the Celtics keep this roller coaster going and are now feeling very positive after back-to-back wins to start the West Coast trip at Golden State and last night at Sacramento. But, you know, we're both of the age where we can reflect in a big way on what some of our early influences uh, are and were in terms of of the game. So, you know, I'd love to tap into that. And, And for you, you know, you grew up, of all places, you know, in Michigan, as you've said, a Detroit Pistons fan. But before the Pistons rose with the bad boys, which is when you were playing in the Big Ten for Iowa, um, what was your introduction to Celtics-Lakers and and what sticks out from that rivalry when you were an an up-and-coming talent in the Midwest? Well, growing up, uh, Eric, please don't hold it against me. I I was a Lakers fan because, you know, Magic is right up the road. You know, Irving grew up in Lansing, Michigan. So I I followed Irving's career. I can remember my, my dad taking me to watch him play and said, hey, son, I want, to, I want you to go see this guy who plays the center position and he dribbles the ball up the court. And I couldn't, I couldn't grasp the concept that how could he could be the center in a 2-3 zone in high school at Lansing Sexton, and then he would rebound the ball and he would dribble it up the court, which seemed like, you know, that, that went against everything that I had learned as a young kid playing basketball, right? Uh, so you got to was, see – so you got to see Magic Johnson play high school basketball live? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I got a chance to see him play That's incredible. high school. He would come down to Detroit and play. So him and Greg Kelser, uh, who played at Michigan State as well, he grew up right in our neighborhood. So, you know, there was when he, when he eventually decided to go to Michigan State. So this was always, you know, I, I grew up watching him. And, you know, he was kind of like the local kid that everyone knew and, especially in the basketball world, and then he gets drafted by L.A., and as they say, the rest is history. So I grew up watching Irving play. Uh, back then, we called him Young Buck. You know, I don't know how many people know that, but, you know, he yeah. was always Young Buck uh, that they would call him uh, earlier in his career, and then obviously the name Magic kind of came and stuck with him. But 
So I, I had a, I've had a chance to watch him, you know, when he was when he was you know coming into his own. He was the center with this lanky kid with a huge afro, and uh, you know he was doing things that none of us had seen. You know, he he was dribbling the ball, passing the ball, scoring the ball, and doing his thing from the as a six eight, you know, I don't know what he was, power forward, center, whatever he was in high school, he was just an incredible and an amazing player. Yeah, he was he was he was everything on that floor as as he was at Michigan State. And I don't I don't know if, you know, obviously our contemporaries realize this, but I don't know younger listeners like Magic Johnson won a state championship in high school, won the national championship at Michigan State in nineteen seventy nine against Larry Bird in Indiana State. Then he goes on to the NBA and wins the NBA title two of his first three seasons. It's just one of the most remarkable runs in terms of a guy creating his stardom, which was, of course, the beginnings of Showtime. The Lakers then uh, lose the championship to the Dr. J. Moses Malone Sixers in 83, which sets up round one of Celtics-Lakers in the 80s, 1984, and they would play in 84, 85, and 87 what's the thing that sticks out to you that that really resonates with those Celtics-Lakers finals matchups in the 80s, Bird, Magic, the Forum, the Garden, and all the other personas and passion and rivalry that, that was a part of that? What sticks out to you? Well, you know, the one thing that I... I loved in the you know as a kid watching it was the the emotion and the intensity in which the game was being played. You know, there was no love loss between the Lakers and the Celtics. And you could see that and you could feel that energy watching the game as a young kid. As a professional player, the one thing that I really respected even more so was how many Hall of Fame players were on the floor at one given time. I mean, you had Kareem, you had Robert Parrish, you had Kevin McHale, you know, you had Bob McAdoo, you had Larry Bird, James Worthy, Magic Johnson, Dennis Johnson, you know, Casey Jones, Pat Riley. I mean, you just had such a level of excellence. You know, you had Red Arbeck, you had Dr. Jerry Buss. You know, there was just Chick amazing. Chick Johnny Most. Yeah, yeah, you just had amazing, amazing you know, talent, players, coaches, owners that made this such a special rivalry. And, you know, they were able to win, I think, in the 80s alone. I think between the two, they won like eight championships just in the 80s alone. Yep. Uh, if five I remember correctly, at the, yeah, five and three. And then I think the Pistons won one in 89. And I think the Sixers snuck one in there, right? Yep, in um, 83. So, yeah, so all of the players in that era had to go through basically the Lakers or Boston to win a championship. And that to me is was the brilliance of that era was because those two, when I say those two, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird had an incredible run, not only as individuals, but what they were able to do within the framework of the team. And clearly you had incredible amazing players i mean kareem abdul jabbar and you know and 
Kevin McHale, and you had some amazing players. You know, Dr. J was in that era, and you had Isaiah Thomas, and you had Moses Malone, and, you know, the list goes on. But those two, what they were able to do from their team perspective, to me, just kind of stood out. And yep. that's one thing and I appreciate. Raising, raising the level of everyone around well, them. Yeah, well, and, I mean, with, look. With, with how they played, right? Because, you know, Bird well, the could, game was played a little different. Yeah, Bird could score, but you know, the one the one thing you know, I, I had a chance to play against those guys, and 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 the one thing, you know, not to sound like the old guy, but when you played against a Larry Bird, he, I mean, he wasn't the fastest guy. He couldn't jump the highest. He wasn't the strongest guy. He wasn't the quickest guy. But he had a presence on the floor that you knew that he was going to have an impact on winning, which wasn't dictated by him just scoring. That, that's to me, is what made these guys special was Magic Johnson didn't have to score points to have an impact on the game. Larry Bird didn't have to score 40 points to have an impact on the game. He was going to find a way to impact the game in the biggest moments when, it, when, when needed. When needed when it needed to be or counted the most. So the most impressive thing about those two players is that they had an impact on winning. All of the other things, you know, this guy averages 30 points, this guy did this. Those two impacted winning. And to me, that was from the era that I was in. And I'm just going to stick to that because when it's all said and done, you know, it's it's all about winning, and 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 Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, you know, Michael Jordan, those guys. Really, that was a special era because winning is all that there is. You know, Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those guys, they won games, and yeah, they scored a lot of points, and some of them had a lot of block shots and rebounds and assists and all those things. But to me. It all boils down to the same thing. You know, who's winning and who's not. And this league is about winning, and those guys impacted winning in their own way, and they should be respected as such. I feel blessed that it was my introduction to the game, and it was so big and it was so grand. And while I was taught the Lakers are the enemy, they're the respected rival, and I just I have such an appreciation for it. And I can't imagine right now, what is Magic Johnson thinking and going through on a daily basis as this Los Angeles Lakers team has turned into a, for lack of a better term, it's an embarrassing soap opera right now with how they're playing, with body language, they're two and six since the All-Star break. Obviously, it's the first year of LeBron James with a a roster that doesn't meet his level. But, you know, one of the things when I was sharing, I was sitting on my soapbox typing away about the Celtics and Lakers last week. It's about the name on the front of that uniform. And knowing who came before you, who created those traditions. And I just can't understand not leaving everything you have on the floor. So I really want to get your perspective right now. What's going on between Magic's ears and what's next for the Lakers? 
Well, you know, you know, working in the front office, I, 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 I have, I have a soft spot for all of the general managers and people in the business, from the standpoint of I understand the difficulty that they are facing. With social media and all of the things that you see today, you see all the. If anything could go wrong, it's probably this was probably handled in a way they probably all wish they could they could all take a mulligan on it and, and do it differently. But in saying that. You so know, real quick, is, real quick, what what are you what are you saying they could have done differently? Well, I think the way it, it played itself out in the media, in the public eye, I think they probably all wish it could have been done a little different because you see the effects on what it has within your locker room. You see the yep. effects it has on with building a team. You see the effects that it has not only on your team, but on what, how young people perceive information today. Okay, this, this, this social media, you know, and you hear me say this all the time, Eric, this social media thing is something, this is a real thing now because the kids are, this information is coming so fast to all of us that we don't have time to digest it and really verify whether it's true or false. We just get the information. Such and such says uh, they're going to trade to the New Orleans Pelicans. Okay, well, the information is coming so fast, you don't have time to verify. It doesn't, mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's just about who's reporting, who's reporting on it first, and then once it's out, it's out. But you see the effects that it has on the young kids because the young kids are getting the information just as quickly as you're getting it. Yeah. So and there's I guess no it's time. easy to sit. Right. And, and just sorry to cut you off, but I guess it's it's easy to sit here from my perspective and say, OK, yes. well, it's it's just a media outlet trying to get traffic and attention right. around a <laughs> yeah. possible trade that can happen. You should ignore that. But you, when you're you, 21 exactly. years old trying to find your way. That's that's not the easiest thing to do, I would assume. No, the, the human element to all of this is that all of these young kids, they're humans. They're people. No one wants to be traded. I don't care who you are. No one wants that. Whether you say you want to be traded or you are traded, there is a moment of rejection that you feel there in a trade. That's just the human part of it, right? Every player who's been traded... You can want to be traded, but in your quiet moment, you're going to feel, okay, this team didn't want me, this team did want me, or what have you. There is going to be that moment. And for many of these players, this is the first time they've gone through that. Think about that, yeah. Eric. Think about Kuzma, Ingram, Ball. They've Kuzma, never, Ingram, Ball, first Ball. time, without okay. a doubt. Without this a is doubt. their first time. So... The very first time is the most difficult time. I can remember the first time I was I was traded, I didn't really know what to feel. That was the first time I've ever experienced any type of rejection because in high school, you know, I, I was always the guy people wanted on his team. I, I, you know, I had plenty of scholarship offers when going to college. You know, I was drafted by a team that I knew wanted me. And all of a sudden, at 25 or 26, whenever I was traded – I had that first feeling of kind of like, oh, wow, this team doesn't want me anymore. So hmm. I can only imagine that these kids, because they're all younger now, what yeah. they must feel like and what that does to them psychologically as I'm – because I, I deal with this all the time 
in my in, as an agent. I deal with the psychological effects of of the trade and what that does to their family and what that does to their kids and all of the things. So when a kid gets traded, you just don't get traded. You know, you got to deal with the human aspect of this. And to watch how that played out, you know, living here in L.A., being an agent, working in the league and being traded myself, I saw all of the emotions play itself out and it just snowballed. I mean, I can't imagine I don't work with any of those kids what those conversations must have been like dealing with the rumors all week in a city like L.A. where you knew this wasn't a rumor. You knew that was actually happening. Yeah. And what, how were they going to be professionals at that point of their career when this is the first time they've actually seen it? So, again, it doesn't make it right or wrong. Uh, as a professional, life goes on with or without you. But at the same time, there's a human element that you have to deal with. And these young men were seeing something that they had never seen before. And to, for many of us who've been in the business for years, you know, it's okay, guys get traded all the time. But for young kids who've never seen it, that was a very that, that that was a traumatic moment for them on many levels, even though I thought they were doing as best they could to keep their emotions intact. But I can only imagine what they were really feeling inside. So two guys that are veterans on that team, LeBron James, of course, and Rajon Rondo. Uh, start with Rondo. You know, he, he sits amongst the fans last night. <laughs> courtside as they're getting their their ass handed to them by the nuggets and you know common knowledge Rajon Rondo has an edge to him right he, he he operates with his own deck of cards I've always felt he's been um, misunderstood overall um, competitor floor general at this point wily veteran i think people have moved past what happened in dallas with coach carlisle as he's been very good in a couple of situations uh, most notably for the pelicans during their playoff run last year is there anything to make of rondo sitting courtside with the fans last night or is that just a, another thing for the media to dig into and pile on uh, pile on about regarding the, the culture of this team right now well the, the the my 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 initial instinct was thank goodness I didn't play when there were social media and cell phones because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can remember having conversations where we thought it was bad if we were put our towels over our, over our head sitting on the bench and I remember having those discussions because that was looked at in a way like you know. It could be misinterpreted that way, you know, sitting on the bench because you had a towel on your head. What people didn't realize, the reason that players back then put towels over their heads is because you're, you were, most of the floors or the arenas that you played in back then had ice under the arena, and you would be so cold sitting on the bench that you would just try to cover up because there was always <laughs> ice on the floor. <laughs> okay? So it was actually a reason, aside yeah. from just being but, like, I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody the, looking at me right now. We're having a rough night. You were actually trying to stay warm. Yeah, you're, and you I mean, your feet would be – That's so, hilarious. When you would sit That's on hilarious. there. So, yeah, it, 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 one of the jokes was if, you know, if you didn't play a lot, your feet would be like frozen at the end of the game because you were just sitting on ice the whole game. Like in the old Chicago Stadium, there was always ice there. It was ice up under the arena. So they couldn't like turn the heat up. I don't even know if they had heat in the, in on the Chicago Stadium. 
So it would be so cold sitting on the bench and your feet would be so cold that you would just try to stay warm, you know, but visually that didn't look, I got it. I got it, but I didn't get it of what that may have looked like with a player sitting with the towel over his head, you know, that was, you know, what, what, what were they doing? Um, so, so bringing, bringing it yeah, back to, to Ray John, look, I, you know, I don't know why he didn't go sit down. Maybe he had a moment, right? You know, sometimes you do things in your plane or you're trapped and you'll look back and you'll be like, oh, man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Making yeah. no excuse. Without question, he should have sat on the bench. The one thing that I found more interesting than where he was sitting is none of his teammates or none of his coaches came to get him. <laughs> that yeah. was – that was to me, that, that's what I found really funny was – you know, if you saw someone doing something or, you you know, maybe you're, you're trying to save the guy from, you know, you're trying to save him from himself. You know, if, if Scottie Pippen was ranting to the official, hey, I'm going to try to grab Scotty to hold him back and say, come on, man, I, I get it. But you, you're trying to help your teammate out. The, one, the, the funny thing that I thought was really funny was none of the coaches and none of the players – didn't go down and say, hey, hey, come on, uh, Ray John, man, come on back down here. I, I understand, and let's, you know. Like, no one said anything. Now, to me, that was – it wasn't what was done. It was kind of like wasn't what done. wasn't done to me was the bigger story because the, the bigger story is this is your teammate. If I saw something that Eric was doing that maybe Eric wasn't aware of, as your teammate, I'm going to go over there and say, hey, hey Eric, man, you know, that, that's not cool. Or, you know what, you know, you might want to reel it in a little bit. The coaches were just like, oh, well. I would, I would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and the players were like, oh, well. It's kind of like, you know, no one, everyone just, you know. So yeah. that, to me, was the bigger issue because I, 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 I'm a, I, I like Rondo. And I, I've always been a – from afar, I've always been a fan of him because he's he's been one of the truth tellers in the game. Um, I understand he may be a, a a personality that could be difficult at times. He's 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 feisty. He's a very spirited player, but I think that's allowed him to be who he has become and who he is as a player um, in this league. Uh, but certainly, just by the 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 look of it, it wasn't a good look last night. If you're just looking and happen to turn on the television to see. Oh wow! Here's a player sitting where the fans should be, and and no one said anything to him. Definitely a uh, another odd occurrence. Last thing, Lakers. LeBron James has been to eight NBA Finals. I mean, is it completely unthinkable that we'll have a 2019 NBA playoffs without LeBron James and the Lakers in it? Because right now it's it, it's looking. It's looking fairly doubtful unless something changes quickly. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, coming out of the East, the Eastern Conference, I think, has not been overall as balanced as you see in the Western Conference. The Western Conference is, is a monster. I mean, it, it, they just have not only, I think, better teams, they have – you know, just players who can actually individually, they have the ability to just score outside of the team aspect. You know, James Harden doesn't need a play 
to go get 40 points in the game. He can just go out there and score 40 points without a play being called for him. You know, Paul yeah. George can go get it outside of the offense. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, you know, these players are just unique players, and they all live out here in the Western Conference. Wessel Westbrook, you know, just the list goes on and on. Now, in the Eastern Conference, you don't have as many of those players. And I think LeBron has been clearly the most dominant player in the Eastern Conference for the last, let's just say, 10 years. And without question, he's been able to will himself uh, and will his team, you know, to be the best teams in the Eastern Conference. The Western Conference is a whole different animal. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, that's, that's a really good ball club. Really good and basketball team. That's a really the good Portland basketball Trail team. Blazers. Okay, the Portland, Portland Trail, Trail Blazers, Blazers, the Utah Thunder, Jazz, Rockets. the Thunder. Yep. These are uh, uh, the Sacramento Kings, right? You know, they took your Celtics right down to the wire last night, okay? Yeah. It's just better basketball. So what he has done, I'm not taking away anything he has done over the last eight years, but I think out here in the Western Conference, for for people who've been watching, you know, NBA basketball, I think we all will agree that the more, I, I, I just say more skilled player, skill individual players have been out here in the Western Conference, which have allowed them to have, in my opinion, you know, they, they've been better teams. I mean, we have a lot of players out here in the West that can play outside of the system. And when you have the players that can go do it like these players, I mean, Clay Thompson and these guys, getting 30 points for these guys is, is a blink of an eye. I mean, these guys yeah, are the, that the, skilled. The, the explosive talent level, it's – it's across the league, but there is a certain concentration right now of it in the West. Yes. But the other th- the other thing is LeBron James had comfortability and trust in many of the pieces he was playing with, both obviously in the Miami era, four seasons, four finals trips, two championships, and in the Cleveland era, four finals trips, one championship. Now he's in a different place. He's with different guys, many of which are very inexperienced, aren't battle-tested. As you alluded to earlier, a lot of young guys, a lot of guys on one-year contracts. I mean, this, this margin for error that was set up in L.A. W- was minute. And add that in to what you're talking about, about the competition night in and night out in the West where when LeBron was in the East, he's playing Western Conference teams twice a year. That doubles up now, being in the West. You're playing everybody four times. Um, This was a very, very tall task. So in my eyes, unless he's getting uh, 40-point triple doubles the rest of the way and putting everything on his back every night, which you know he's still capable of doing, but not sure if it's capable of doing it every single night, um, the Lakers are going to be watching the playoffs from home this year. And it sounds like the fire department is, uh, is trying to put out the fire behind you there in L.A. for the, uh, the Laker dumpster fire. Yeah, it, 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 it is. But, you know, we get a lot and we, we talk a lot about stats. And, and you, certainly you look at stats 
and you go, wow, he's averaging, I don't know, I don't know what his stats are, 27, what, I'm going to say 27, 7, and 7 or somewhere around there. You know, 27 points today doesn't have the same impact as 27 points a game 15 years ago. And the reason I say that is because the style of play in yesteryear as compared to today is different. Yep, pace is way up. The pace and the spacing of the game has created a different game. The way they traditionally have played in the Eastern Conference compared to the Western Conference, it's a different game. So 27-7-7 doesn't ring the same bell to me as someone who did that 15 or 20 years ago because of the way that they play. The way that the kids play today – 27 points, that's what, nine shots now, right? Yep. <laughs> Great point. Great point. These guys, I, I watch teams now shoot 63s in a game. I didn't shoot 63s in two months. <laughs> so the way that the game is played today, the argument of the, of the stats to do that, does, they, the stats don't tell the story. Now, for better or for worse, I've learned as an ex-player that if you're getting all of, or if you're getting, let's say, the majority of the touches in this league, in no way am I implicating that, but if you're getting the majority of the touches, you will figure out to some degree how to get stats. If I knew every game, Eric, that I was going to get 30 to 40 touches on the block with a live dribble. Eric, there's no doubt in my mind that I can get you 20 points a night. That sounds if fun. I, if I knew going into the game. 30 touches on the block? That sounds, with a live that dribble. Fun. With a live yep. dribble. With a live dribble. Okay. And not only did I know that, I used to have this discussion with the player on my team who shall remain nameless, who was going to get the ball 30 to 40 times below the free throw line with the live dribble and ask him, and I would ask him all the time, what is your, what is your biggest problem as a player, you know, that's going to have that way, have that type of freedom to play? So, Eric, every game you're going to get a, the ball with a live dribble 30 to 40 times. Okay. Yep. And he would always say my biggest concern was – making sure that I was responsible and taking a good shot. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Great okay. position to be in. His re- he felt responsible enough to not just jack up a shot, but he said it was his responsibility to get up a good shot. And he felt responsible enough to shoot over 50% so that he considered himself a good teammate to do that. Quality possessions, quality possessions. Now, and, Eric, and you, you just okay. Finish, finish your point, no, no. and then I've got so a, now, a pivot coming to, up. Yeah, yeah. But then today, how many guys are shooting over fifty percent? How many guys no. are actually just coming down, jacking up shots, and doing things and putting up numbers? Because that's the way the game is played now. Eric, if I came down in our era and we we just took one pass and up a shot, that was considered bad basketball. Now that is the norm. 
It's a norm. Yeah. So twenty seven and seven. So twenty seven and seven today. When people say that, I go, okay, big deal. And yeah. as we get older, we all understand that we will have less of an impact on winning as we get older because of the two elements that's needed to win games. You got to. You can't slack off the effort, and you can't slack off the energy. And the first place that you see the effort and the energy comes on the defensive end because you're not yep. reacting as quickly as you could because father time is not going to lose this game. Yep. So now we're like, oh, he's not playing. No, it's not that he's not playing defense. It's that the effort and the energy that's required to win at this level, and you hear coaches and players say it all the time, you can't take anything for granted up here. These guys are that good. And as great of a player as he has been over the last 16, 17 years, it still requires you to provide the effort and energy. You cannot cheat the effort and energy that it requires to win in this league. And that's what you're seeing. Now, can he do it from time to time? Yes. Is he capable of doing it, you know, for moments and stretches? Yes. For 48 minutes at this age? It's a lot of now, minutes. That's a lot of minutes. It's a lot of minutes. So for the record, LeBron on the season, 27 points, 8.5 rebounds, 8 assists per game. As you said, pace, style, spacing, three-point shot. These numbers mean different things now than they did 15 years ago. It's not going to be LeBron James responsible for the Lakers making the playoffs or not. It's going to be the collective group, and they've got a lot of work to do. Speaking of a group that's had a lot of work to do, we talked briefly about the Celtics. You mentioned shooting 50%. The Boston Celtics are 19-2 when Gordon Hayward shoots 50% or more. So that's that's efficiency. That's him in attack mode. He played his best game of the season the other night against Golden State. He was in attack mode. Things were coming to him in the flow of the game. He's shooting the three brilliantly. He, he's got a, a great sense of, of spacing when he gets into the lane and sets up his fadeaway jump shot. Last night, he wins the game uh, with a, a, a one-legged floater fading left baseline to beat the Kings. What are you seeing from Gordon Hayward's process right now as we hit the stretch run of the season? Well, you know, we all know Gordon Hayward is a, is a terrific player, but I, I'm going to go straight to the source. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to give my honest assessment what I think of the Celtics the Celtics there's only been one player in this league that I can recall that the team has been built around a a point guard and they actually had they won and that was Isaiah Thomas Isaiah Thomas is the only small player where the team was built around his talent and he delivered and he won now there's been some great small players that played in this league but there's only been one where he's actually won and delivered on the goods okay There's been another player who has had the talent, individual talent, of Isaiah Thomas, but chose a different route, and that was Allen Iverson. Isaiah Thomas was Allen Iverson before Allen Iverson because if I would have allowed Isaiah Thomas, if Chuck Daly would allow Isaiah Thomas to just run around and score, there's no doubt in my mind he could have got 30 a night a la Allen Iverson. But he didn't yep. allow him to do that. He demanded he do something else, 
before he would turn them loose every night. He had to run the team. And I, when Allen Iverson was coming to the league as an older player, I remember I went to Allen. I was like, Allen, as, as you're scoring 27, 30 points as a, as, a point, as a two guard. Imagine what you could do as a point guard. Because the two guards can't guard you. Imagine if guys my size were guarding you. Okay. Right. The, the problem, and the reason I'm saying this is because Kyrie Irving is the key to the success of the Celtics. He's got to make a choice. Either he's going to run the team and average 18 points a game, or he's going to be Kyrie Irving and average 26 or 27 or whatever he's averaging right now. If he, if he averages 18 points a game, the Celtics will probably win a championship because that means he is doing what all the great players have to do in this, in this league. They have to sacrifice playing the game. They have to win the game because Kyrie Irving is the only player on the Celtics that I see could play for the whole 48 minutes of the game. And what I mean by that is Kyrie Irving, you can have the last possession and Kyrie Irving can go get a good shot in the last possession of a 48-minute game at the highest level in a championship series. I can give him the yeah. ball, clear it out, and he will get me a good shot, and I'll take my yep. chances. Him as you a combo, uh, as a floor general and a closer to me, yes. makes the most now, sense. And you, hit, now, and you hit it on the head. He played it, 30, obviously, the game the other night. Listen, the Warriors just were not ready for the level the Celtics came out with. Klay Thompson didn't play, but a win is a win on the champs' home floor. Kyrie Irving plays 30 minutes. He takes 15 shots. He has 19 points. He has 11 assists. That's, now, see, right. I, that's I mean, what I don't, it needs yeah. to be. That, now, I don't, I'm not a stat guy. I just look at the game and say, how do I win the I game? Know. If Kyrie Irving... Does that. If he averages over 20 points a game, Celtic fans, you're probably not going to win. If he averages less than 20 points a game, that means he's doing the following. He's managing the game, and he's going to win the game. Because in the fourth quarter, when I need him most, that's when I turn him loose and say, go win the game, a la Isaiah Thomas. Yep. That's what, I, me- now, I mentioned the numbers. I mentioned the numbers because... When the numbers look and feel like that, we know that ball is moving and not sticking. And when that ball is moving and those players are moving their bodies and cutting to the basket, a la Jalen Brown, a la Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, Jason Tatum, name them all, they're, they're at a very high level. When guys are standing, standing, dancing, jacking jumpers on one pass, like you said, which still drives me crazy, then flip a coin whether or not they're going to win a game that night. That, that, that's yeah, where they and, sit. And, and, and look, Kyrie Irving is that good. He can choose to be Allen Iverson, and we can't say anything because he, he will put up those type of numbers. He's that talented. But if he chooses to win the game, that Celtic team is going to make a run because they have the talent to do it. No one else in the league has the depth that that team has and the quality of player that they have. But yep. this is Kyrie Irving has to make a choice, and I think Kyrie – Kyrie has to make a choice and become secure in himself a la Isaiah Thomas so that Joe Dumars could become an all-star. If there's anything, any criticism that I have of the Celtics this year, which I wasn't a great player in this league when I played, but the fact that Jason Tatum is not an all-star to me is the only disappointment in, in the season. Because Jason Tatum looked like he was poised this year to make the next step. And I remember when Scottie Pippen was ready on the verge to take the next step is that 
our best player, and the rest of us made sure that he took that next step because that was important to get that out of the way so that the individual, him chasing his individual numbers weren't going to get in the way of the success of our group. Jason Tatum needs, at this point of his career, to know that he's one of the players because he had a great year last year. He had a great year. And yep. he proved himself in the playoffs. And when you are a great player, you take on that responsibility of making sure you bring somebody else to the party with you. Al Horford doesn't need that type of – Al Horford has been an all-star. Marcus Smart knows who Marcus Smart is. You know, the Morris kid, he knows his role. But that kid Tatum and the other kid Brown, they're still figuring out who they are yet. They don't know yet who, they're, who they are and who they could be. But I thought it was important for the Tatum kid to be an all-star. Gordon Haywood, to me, is comfortable enough to say, look, I can go to the bench and figure it out. Which, to me, that was a great move by him. You can't tell me that him and the coach didn't have that conversation because they're trying to figure out this team. So Joel Embiid been sitting out with a sore knee. Uh, is there anything else to look out here with Embiid sitting out and how it's affecting the Sixers? Well, you know, Joel, no, no one's ever argued his talent and what he brings, but it's really his conditioning is going to suffer because of this. You know, especially as a big, because the, the, the bigs have to run baseline to baseline, unlike us little guards who can run three-point line to three-point line. So I think his yep. conditioning is going to suffer. And more importantly, playing with the big is different than playing with, where you have the ability to drive the ball because Joel, there's no place for Joel to go other than on the box. You know, you just can't ask him to have a steady diet of shooting threes. So I think the team, the way they play um, – they're going to have to adjust. And it's always an adjustment playing with a big guy who demands the ball on the box like Joel. So it's going to be an adjustment for the entire team. But when you look at the team, you're going to need Joel because of his talent and what he can do. I mean, he can dominate a game on both ends. Uh, since the All-Star break, the Houston Rockets are 6-1. and one. Is this team back on track to make a deep run in the Western Conference playoffs? What do you think? A tough team to, to match up and play against during the regular season because of the way they can score the ball. You know, Mike D'Antoni has really ushered in a, an era in, in, in professional basketball to where he constantly keeps you on an island as a defensive player. And, um, you know, he, he, you know, watching, you know, watching them, I, uh, he, he always makes me smile because – when I watch their team, because he just picks on guys, you know, he just picks on certain players and he, he knows that every team is going to switch. So he just finds the switch. That's a favorable matchup to him. And he continues to run the same play every single, every single, every single time down the floor. And once he finds something that works, he just sticks with it. It's, it's really kind of funny. Go, go to the well, baby. He go goes to, to I mean, and, and, and he, and he, he goes to the well. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard team to play against because James Harden really is a unique player. Um, and he can score in such, you know, you know, I, I think one of the, the brilliant things that Mike D'Antoni has done is he made James Harden into really a point guard. And to me, that was the, the genius move of when he came there is he didn't ask James Harden 
to play to create offense for the team, he made the team play off of James Harden, which to me mm-hmm. that was that was the genius. He just said, "You guys figure out how to play with him, not vice versa." <laughs> it was, and I so, thought, "Wow, so that was they, interesting." So, so are they a, are they a dark horse Western Conference Finals candidate? Well, right I, now, regular yes season, no? it, it's fun. Regular season, that is hard to prepare against because you don't see it. If I have time to plan and game plan for you, I think that's going to be a different game. And I think that is always the case with the Mike D'Antoni team is because I don't see other teams who play that way in the regular season, which is hard to prepare for one of 82. Or you see them twice a year if you're in the Eastern Conference or four or five times in the Western Conference. If I have time to game plan for them, then I want to see James Harden, how the team is going to adjust because benches are going to be shortened. I have time to develop a scheme that I can play, make adjustments during the course of the game, and figure it out. Now, that is what I want to see because that has always been the Achilles heel, if you will, of where, where, when Mike D'Antoni was coaching in Phoenix and now since he's been coaching in Houston. Is uh, Russell Westbrook uh, the number two guy in Oklahoma City right now behind Paul George? And if yes, does that suit him better? The number one guy will always be Russell Westbrook because he's the straw that stirs that, 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 stirs that drink. He's love the engine there. Reggie Jackson, love it, love yeah, it. Yeah. All love of this it. number one guy, number two guy, all this stuff. Yeah. Still you know his what? team. Listen, when you game plan for the, when you game plan for the Oklahoma City Thunder, okay, you better figure out how to stop the thrust of Russell Westbrook because he's going to, shove that thing down your throat he's gonna shove it down your throat until someone stops him that's just who he is he's gonna attack you on the offensive end the defensive end half court full court timeouts <laughs> the man is is relentless now i love the fact the way paul george is playing i think paul george has figured out how to play off of russell with russell and you're watching them develop the chemistry and trust which is a beautiful thing to watch. But make no doubt about it that Russell Westbrook, is the, the, he's the straw that stirs that drink. He is going to be the one that's going to accept the full responsibility of that team, and he's the leader of the group. And I think that works for Paul George's personality. I think this is the perfect scenario for Paul George's talent. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, obviously the Greek freak having an incredible season. Uh, many guys have stepped their games up, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, etc. Well, what's the impact of their head coach, Mike Budenholzer? In, in, in one thought, one response, BJ, what's Budenholzer's impact on this team? Well, th- this team is playing with a lot of confidence. And I, 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 I love the confidence that they have on both ends of the floor. They, they play through their star. Uh, Giannis is having a terrific season. And if there's one word that I can give Coach Budenholzer is they're organized. They're incredibly organized on both ends of the floor. Just when you watch them, there's no doubt of how they play. There's no doubt who's the first, second, and third option. There's no doubt where your shots are coming from. And there's no doubt defensively what they're doing. they They are an incredibly organized group. And they have maximized, in my humble opinion, 
the talent that they have on the floor. It's because of the organizational skills of the coaches and the staff there. So I will give them – I'll give him that of what they're doing. I think they've had a, a, a beautiful regular season. And I'm interested to see where Giannis takes his game to the next level in the playoffs because I think, you know, this kid here is averaging 27, 28, I don't know, points a game without a three-point shot. And when this kid yep. figures out how to shoot consistently at that range, I think this I think he's going to go on a tear in the NBA that we haven't seen. Kevin Durant continues to have these very interesting moments with the media. Uh, you and I have, I think, the same interest in, in this type of stuff, but Adam Silver had some, some things to say at the Sloan Conference. Charles Barkley had a response. KD obviously has had enough with, with rumors and stories without sources. And uh, Steve Kerr had some comments about the way they came out against the Celtics. KD took exception with them. What's your insight and feeling on, on how KD is wired? And, and is he just burnt out with dealing with the media right now? And, and how do you feel about these comments regarding uh, the back and forth with him and Kerr, which, of course, didn't occur in the same room? Well, you know, I, I think he's very irritated at the need to have to respond to every single thing. And you hear teams, every time there's a trade rumor or someone says something, if you don't respond, it's true. But you can't respond every single time someone throws out a rumor or says something. So... In listening to the listening to the uh, to the you know both you know press conferences, first of all, you got to take the context of what was said and, and under which con the context was said before you can examine the content or examine what was actually said. Now, the way the question was, I don't think Steve was saying we weren't angry or whatever he, whatever he said. What he was saying was, you know, you got to come out and play this game with a certain amount of force in the game. You got to meet the – a better way to say it is you have to meet the energy of the other team. You have to meet the energy of the other team. If they're coming out with a certain amount of force and you don't meet that energy, that team is probably going to, you know, have a physical dominance over you if you don't meet that energy. That's all he was saying. Now, how it was said and how the question was – was framed yeah i got it it was like one of those things like really like come on like you know look steve has been around kevin has been around i look at it as like okay we took the words we we, we, we maneuvered them just a little bit and now we're saying there's a there is a something going on i don't think there's anything going on at all when teams have been around each other for four or five years you really begin to get irritated with each other. Because the, the repetitive of the, the, the mundane repetitive of going through and answering the same questions at some point wears on you. I think that's what you're seeing more than anything. Back to the 90s we go. You know, a, a, a memorable moment 
that unfortunately had to happen to you and your Chicago teammates before you reached the top of the mountaintop was 1990 Eastern Conference Finals, Game 7 in Detroit. You're from Michigan. You guys, it's your rookie year. You guys can can taste the finals birth. And obviously, Michael's been trying to climb the ladder since he got into the league in, in the spring of 84, in the 84 draft and, you know, been knocked out of the postseason each year and made it a little further. The Pistons were the, the nemesis at that point. And, you know, people know the story about Scottie Pippen not being able to perform because of the migraine. What did that experience teach you guys? And what was your memory of 1990 Game 7? Eastern Conference Finals in Detroit. That was a pivotal moment for for every player, for everyone really in the organization, because that was Game 7 loss to the Pistons. I believe that was 1990, right? Was that 1990? Yes. Um, that year. I think the Pistons, yeah, Pistons won the championship, if I recall. That was um, their second title back-to-back. Yeah. That was a very pivotal moment for everyone within the organization because that was our moment of truth. And that was the first time in my career, in my basketball career, high school, college, or pro, where I had faced a team and I knew they were better than us. And everyone in that locker room, whether they wanted to admit it then or admit it now, the Pistons were a better team than we were at that moment. Now, we may have had the better player, but they were a better team. And that was, and the reason that was so critical for me then was because that was the first time in my, in my, my life that I ever looked and I played against a player. I played against Isaiah Thomas, and I didn't care what I did. I was not going to be as good as Isaiah Thomas. And no one on our team at the guard position was going to be able to challenge that. That was a really good team, and that was, a, that was important because for all of us, we couldn't say, well, we're gonna, the, the referees beat us. No. We couldn't say that we played bad. No, we played well. They, they just played better. We couldn't say we didn't shoot the ball well. That's why we lost. No. We couldn't say that we weren't prepared. We were prepared. They were just a better team than we were, and we had to admit that. And I remember the only way I could solve that problem going into that summer was to know that I did my best and my best was always going to be good enough as long as I showed up and did my and gave it my best. I didn't know and we didn't know. And everybody in that locker room, I remember I looked around just like everyone else looked around. We didn't know if we were good enough to beat the Pistons. Hmm. But I did know. We lost like on a Friday or a Saturday. I remember we lost on a Friday. Nothing was said. We all looked around each other. And I remember the only thing that I could do at that point in my life, not in my basketball game, in my life, was to show up on Monday morning and get to work. And I will never forget this. You can ask anybody who's on that team. None of us talked about it. None of us planned it. I showed up. Scottie Pippen showed up, Horace Grant showed up, Bill Cartwright showed up, John Paxson showed up, all of the players showed up. And that was the critical moment for all of us because we knew there was only one way we were going to beat that team, and that was to show up. 
we weren't going to be tougher than them. They were as mentally tough as any team in the league. They were more experienced enough. They had just as much as talent as us. They were just as well coached as us. But we knew we had to show up and perform and know that our best was good enough. And to everyone's credit, everyone's credit, you, that, that's a true story. We all looked at each other, and that whole summer, no one went on vacation. No one did anything. We all showed up. We had a great summer. And in 1991, the following year, we swept them. Yep. We swept them. So, and that, so is, the journey, that was the moment. So the, yeah. so the journey to the first championship, which is the first step in the first three-peat, that didn't start in training camp or with September pickup. Training that camp, started, no. That started, that started three days. So, so you two, lost the Eastern Conference Finals on June 3rd, 1990. You're telling me three days later, the journey everybody started. Was in it. Everybody was that's right incredible. there. That's incredible. That's great. Now, now, that's a true story. And no, and, and the funny part was no one talked. We didn't like after the game, you know, guys are talking about, you know, hashtag grinding. No, nothing was said. It was complete silence. Complete silence in that locker room. There was nothing said on the bus. There was nothing said in the locker room. There was no, no, there, there was no cell phones. We were texting each other or calling each other. We all just showed up at the gym, and everybody looked around, and we said, you know what? Everybody knew what they had to do. And they, as they say, the rest is history. The rest is history because there was that team was a well – they were a machine. And they knew how to play the game. They knew how to make the game ugly. They could win a slow game. They could win a fast game. They could win an isolation game. They could win on the road. And we all showed up and said, okay, if we're going to beat this team, we got to show up. Everybody's got to show up and play their part. And we were able to do it, and, and we went on. And, you know, eventually the, the organization won six titles. But we, we had a pretty good run. But that started two or three days after that after that loss. That's a true story. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Great episode today, my friend, the Pure Hoops podcast. This was episode eight. Special thanks, of course, to Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, the whole Pure Hoops media team. Enjoy your weekend of hoops. Enjoy Celtics Lakers. We'll be back next week. Rate us, subscribe, share, spread the word. Pure Hoops media. Talk soon. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.